Well, welcome to Front Range. My name is Ernest Smith. I'm the lead pastor, and we're so grateful that you guys are here, whether you're joining us in person or watching online. Our hope and prayer, whether this is your first time or you've been coming for a while, is that this will become your home, a place where you can build community, discover your purpose, and grow in your faith in Jesus. I want to let you know about a couple of things that are happening first. Next week is our uh, application deadline for our mission trips. So if you're interested in going on a mission trip, whether that's to Colombia or Kenya or Costa Rica, um, we'd love for you to, uh, to, to fill out an application. You can get those online or um, you can scan the QR code or go to uh, the app and you can get all of that there. Um, you filling out an application is not you saying I'm 100% in. It's just you saying I want more information. I want to start the process. Um, and though that again, that application deadline is next, uh, not tomorrow, but the following Monday. And the second thing I want to let you know about is we tomorrow, or tonight actually, we're starting uh, our annual 21-day fast and prayer. So if you're interested, um, and I would encourage you all, uh, encourage all of us to do this, uh, to do this 21 days of prayer and fasting. What is fasting? It's simply removing something in the natural to focus on God. So it's removing something in your, your everyday life. Maybe it's food. We see that a lot in Scripture. Uh, maybe it's uh, technology. Maybe you're going to stop watching some shows, or you're going to get off social media, or something like that. Like that. Don't fast your spouse or your kids, um, uh, but you can fast anything else pretty much, maybe one meal a day or whatever it may be, and just say, hey, I'm going to give this thing up. And then the goal is whenever you desire to eat or to watch that show or to get on social media or whatever, you're not just suppressing that, that urge, uh, but you're using that time to go pursue after God, to spend time with him in his word uh, in prayer and worship and stuff like that. So um, I want to encourage all of you. Again, that starts tonight at sundown uh, or tomorrow for some of us, uh, but 21 days and let's just see what God has for us. I mean, imagine uh, starting off this year doing this, like imagine what God uh, can do, what we're allowing him to do in our hearts and in our lives. We have all kinds of things going on as a church. You can get more information about all the events. We've got women's nights. We just had a men's breakfast yesterday. We have all kinds of things going on. You can go to our events tab on the website or scan the QR code or go to our app and you can get all the events uh, that we have uh, happening, especially over the next few weeks. All right, by show of hands, how many of you love movies? Anybody love going to see a movie? Yeah, most of us. Now, I, I love it. Like, it's, our, it's one of the favorite things that we do as a family. Uh, it's the go-to for my wife and I for a date night. Uh, my kids love going to, to the movies. And one of my favorite types of movies that I love to see is a movie uh, with, with an origin story. You know, like where you already know like the story of whatever it may be, but now you're finding out by like how it came about and how it started and all of that. Um, uh, there, we've watched two recently. One was the Hunger Games one where we got to see Commissioner Snow, you know, when he was early on, how he kind of became who he was. And then we just watched uh, Wonka, which I love the Wonka series, except for the weird one with Johnny Depp. That was like weird and dark. Uh, but besides that one, uh, I love Wonka stuff. And, uh, and so I, did, I had no clue it was a musical or else I probably wouldn't have gone, but I'm really glad I did. It was a really, really good movie. Uh, and I love origin movies. I, I love the, the story there. I mean, they make tens and hundreds of millions of dollars, these types of movies. Why? Because people love to know the origin of everything. I mean, people will spend hundreds or thousands of dollars this year to find out their own origin story. So what we're going to do over the next few weeks is we're going to be studying the book of Genesis. And today we're going to look at the, the, the most talked about, the most debated origin story ever. And that's the story of you and I, of humanity. 
So we're going to look at the origin story of you and I. If you have your Bibles, we're going to just jump straight in. You can go to Genesis chapter 1. It's the first book of your Bible, the very first page, pretty much, except for the table of contents in your Bible, is what we're going to be looking at. Um, and here's what I want to let you to know. We have a, a series hub for every series that we do. On these series hubs, we provide you with something to read, something to watch, and something to listen to. And our goal is, our thought process is, our, our desire as a church is we're not going to spoon feed you everything. Our goal is to make you hungry for God's word, make you hungry for spiritual growth, and then we'll provide you with the resources. So these series hubs, you can get to them through the website or scanning the QR code or the app. Um, and, uh, and I would really encourage you to check, check out the series hub for this series uh, because there'll be some questions that will pop up that I won't have time to answer today uh, that I think some of our resources will help you with. All right, so let's dive in. Genesis chapter one, we're starting with the very first verse of the Bible. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now that word God in the Hebrew is uh, Elohim. And it's uh, uh, the, 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 the term that's used there is plural, meaning that there's multiple persons. This God is multiple persons. Now that word created, so in the beginning God created, that word created is singular, meaning that one being created whatever comes next. So this is the first reference to the Trinity, where you have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You got one being, multiple Persons. It says, in the beginning, he created the heavens and the earth, literally meaning the skies and the dirt. Verse 2, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So you've got this, this dark abyss that, has been, that is in existence right now. There's no beauty. There's no order. There's no inhabitants. Okay, so the, the world exists, but there's really nothing that exists that we understand it to be at this point. Then it says the Lord is hovering, the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. That, that phrase is giving the sense of expectation, like something is about to happen. And then the rest of Genesis 1 is the creation story. But here's what I'd say, it's bigger than that. It's bigger than just the creation story. It's actually God helping us understand the purpose of his creation and the inhabitants the purpose of the world, and why we are here. So you have seven days in creation, six days where God works, one day where he rests. The six days, they all follow the same pattern. They start with God saying something. So God's speaking things into being, which shows how powerful he is. And then every day ends with the same phrase. It says, and that day had a morning and an evening on day whatever. So every day, follow, the first six days follow those same pattern. God spoke something into being, and then there was morning, and there was evening, so there was a closure. Now, here's the deal. So many people get hung up on the details right here. Like, so many people will say, well, do you take the Bible literally? Would you say that it actually happened in six days, or is one day representative of 1,000 years, or 10,000 years, or a million years, right? Is the earth 6,000 or 10,000 years old, or is the earth really 4.5 billion years old? And here's what I would say. I would say if you, if you focus too much on the how in this verse, you're going to miss the whole point. Like if you focus too much on, on how God chose to do this, then you're going to miss the point of why God chose to do this. The point of Genesis chapter 1 is so much larger than was it a literal six days or was it 4.5 billion years. The point of Genesis chapter 1 is really twofold. Number one is God created everything. So the purpose of Genesis 1 is to remind you and I that God created all things. Now, this may, not, this may sound elementary to you and I. 
You may go, well, of course. Yeah, I believe that God created all things in some form or fashion, whether he used evolution or creation or what, like God created. But you got to understand, like when this was written, it was written in a time where every other culture was polytheistic, meaning that every other culture worshiped many gods. Even today, uh, the majority of people in America would say they're monotheistic. They believe that one God exists in some form or fashion. But, but there's still anywhere between hundreds of millions to 1.2 billion people that are polytheistic, that believe that there are many gods that exist. So it's still very relevant to today. So the point of Genesis chapter 1 is twofold. One, God created everything. everything. And the second is that God created everything for there to be order. Like there was purpose behind it. Like God didn't just randomly create everything. He created everything, all the inhabitants, you and I, and everything with purpose, with order. And if you and I don't focus on the purpose, then we miss out on really, I would say, everything else. Like Genesis chapter one is, is helping us understand the entire book, not just how creation was, was formed. It's trying to help us understand that everything that comes after chapter one is based on chapter one. It's kind of like if um, a couple comes to me and wants premarital counseling. Uh, typically I'll do four to six sessions of premarital counseling and, um, and, you know, the whole goal is for me to give them tools and kind of walk them through a process because I want to help them create the, the best possible situation where they can have a, a long lasting, healthy, vibrant marriage. And so we're talking through that over those, those meetings and, uh, and inevitably at some point we start talking about the wedding day. And the wedding day is what everybody wants to talk about. You know, the, the bride, she lights up and she can't wait to tell me all the things. And the groom is like, whatever she wants, you know. And, and then I always ask about how the dad of the bride is doing. And he's always depressed because it's costing so much money. You know, like we, we always talk through this and everybody gets excited about the wedding day. But here's the reality. That's not the part. It's not that I don't, it's not important to me, but that's not the part that concerns me. Because I've seen the most beautiful wedding days and then the ugliest of divorces. You see, the whole purpose of the premarital counseling is about the why of the marriage. Not about just the how it's going to happen, how that day is going to come about, but about why. Why are you getting married? Why do you love each other? How do you make sure that you have a vibrant, healthy marriage? Don't miss why God created everything because you're so focused on the how. I right, go back to the, to the six working days. Now, the first three days, day ones through days one through three, God creates, I would say, three ordered realms, for lack of a better term, three ordered spaces. Okay, day one, it says, let there be light. So God creates this bigger concept of light. But what you're going to find out in, in day four is that what God's actually creating is time. So the realm of time. Day two, God says, let there be a vault to separate the water from the water. Now, here's, here's the reality. I could geek out over talking about this stuff all day. Like, man, I could go into evolution versus creation, and what does this vault between the water and the water mean, and how did that impact Noah later on, and all of that. Man, I love this stuff. The problem is, is if I did that here, you guys would be here until Wednesday, and you would all be hangry, and you would leave in like 30 minutes anyway. So I can't go into all of this, but let me just tell you, like, this stuff fascinates me. I love this stuff. Um, I, man, somebody earlier, he was leaving last service. He was like, hey, dude, if I just like come and sit in your office, will you just tell me everything? Like, 
Sure, like that'd be fun, you know? Like I geek out over this stuff, so, but I can't tell you everything because we don't have all the time. But basically there's this, God separates the water from the water and there's this vault. The, the realm that he's creating is the sky and the seas. So that's the realm that he's creating. Then day three, it says, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. So God is establishing the land as it emerges from these chaotic waters. Then there's a bonus on day three where God creates um, vegetation. So he creates trees that are seed-bearing and fruit-bearing trees. So that's days one through three. Then you have days four through seven. And God now is going to fill these realms, these spaces with inhabitants. So day four, he said, let there be light. And the inhabitants he creates for this is the sun, the moon, and the stars. And the sun and the moon and the stars, he's actually giving them the authority that he has to shine light in the darkness. Like God is actually giving his authority over to the sun, the moon, and the stars to do what he does, which is bring light in the midst of the darkness. So this realm of time now has inhabitants. Day five, let the waters swarm with living creatures and let the birds fly. So he's filling up the realm of, of, of uh, sky and water with the, the creatures, the birds and the creatures in the water. And then day six, let the land produce living creatures. And then he matches his bonus act on day three with another bonus, and he creates humans on day six. Now, after every day, God says the same thing. He looks at it and he says, it is, do you know what he says? He says, it is good. But at the end of day six, it says he looks at it and he says, it is very good. Because humanity is the climax. Like humanity is the whole purpose. The purpose why God created everything. He, he wanted to create these realms and then these ha- inhabitants. But his greatest masterpiece, his greatest creation is you and I. And then you have day seven. Day seven, God completed his work and he rested on this day. Now, this day is different than all the other days because I told you that, that every other day had a morning and an evening, but this day has no end. Day seven actually has no end. It doesn't say at the, at the end of it, and there was morning and there was evening. Why? Because what God is doing is saying, hey, what I'm doing here, I'm doing for all eternity. I'm resting and I'm inviting you into it. And the whole purpose of Genesis chapter 1 is for us to understand that God created order and then he created you and I to rule and to rest with him. Like God created everything and then day 7 he rests and he's like, and I want you to join me. I'm going to create you to rule and to rest with me. The purpose that God has for you is to be in relationship with him and because of that relationship you rule and you rest with him. That's day seven. Day seven continues on. You can see all throughout scripture, everything from that point on, from the end of chapter one on, is about God ruling and resting with you and I. About him inviting you and I into ruling and resting with him. But you and I can only live out our purpose. There's so many people over the years that have come to me and said, Ernest, I don't, I don't know my purpose. I don't know what my purpose is. I would say most people, when they think about their purpose, they're thinking about like their job. Like, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? How am I going to make money and, and be content and be happy and all of that? Or they think about raising kids. Like, that's my purpose. If I can just get these kids out of the house and they're successful and whatever. Or whatever, the, whatever you making money, whatever it may be, people think that's purpose. And then once you do those things, you're like, man, I'm still empty. Like, I'm still kind of lost. Why? Because the purpose that God created you and I for, 
He created the world and these, these created and these ordered realms, and then he filled it with everything, and then he filled it with us. And he says, I want you to rule and to rest with me. But you can't do that purpose. You can't achieve that purpose in your life unless you understand that you are an image bearer of God. Unless you understand that you are made in the image of God. So to understand that, let's go back to the text. You've got Genesis chapter 1. Let's look at verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So he says, Hey, let us make mankind in our image. So again, this is God saying there's our, there's multiple of us, but it's one being, multiple purposes. Again, another reference to the Trinity. He says, and then let us uh, create them so they have dominion over everything. Then look at verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So he creates us in his image. What does that mean? I mean, what does it mean that God created you and I in his image? Does that mean that we look like God? That we sound like God? That we act like God? I would say probably no to all of those. I don't think I look like God. I don't think I sound like God. I don't think I act very much like God so many times. And so what does it mean to be made in the image of God? That's the big question that we want to ask today. What does it mean to be made in God's image? Well, there's three things that God outlines here. Three things that, that you are called to do as a person who is made in the image of God. Number one, you are to rule for him. Rule for him. Look at verse 28. It says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So he creates us and he says, I want you to be fruitful and multiply. Why? Because I want you to fill the earth and I want you to subdue it. I want you to rule over it. God is actually giving you and I the power to rule over his creation. Think about that for a moment. Like think about how big of a deal this is. Like if, if you created something, you were like, man, this is amazing. This is my greatest masterpiece. And then you just gave it to people to like, handle and, and take care of and all of that. Like most of us would never do that. But God is going, I've created everything and I said it was good. And when God says something good, it's amazing. It's like, holy cow. And God said, and I created all this and I want you to have the power over it. I want you to care for it. I want you to take care of the earth. I want you to take care of the animals. I want you to take care of one another. That's the authority you and I have been given. It's kind of like my, my, my son, he's 13, and uh, he just started a dog walking business. This is his latest venture. Uh, he is a serial entrepreneur for sure. Um, and, uh, and so we, uh, we get these opportunities, and I go with him every time uh, where he's going to be walking these, these dogs. Uh, we get some options for cats, but we always say no to those. Like, that's Satan, you know. So um, just joking, cat people. No, I'm not. Um, 
So anyways, I always go with them, and I'm always shocked. I'm always shocked that, uh, that people give us the keys to their house. Like, they allow us to come into their homes without uh, uh, them being there, and we're like complete strangers. And then they're giving us the authority over their animals, like their prized possession. Many of them, they, this is like their kids, you know, and they're like, hey, go take care of them. Don't let them die, and, you know, help them with every, whatever. Like, I'm shocked that people do that, and yet this is exactly what God does with you and I. With you and I, God is saying, hey, I'm giving you the keys to the house. I'm giving you authority over the house, and I want you to take care of it. I want you to take care of creation. I want you to take care of one another. How would you say you're doing representing God by ruling for him? Like when you look at your life and you look at how you treat things, how you treat the earth, how you treat other people, are you ruling well for God? Are you ruling well for him? Like when you see other people, do you see them like God sees them as his creation made in his image? Or do you see them as an enemy based on their political stance or based on their view of sexuality or based on whatever? Name the topic. Name the cultural issue. Do you see them based on that or do you see them as somebody who's created by God? How well are you ruling for God? If you're an image bearer of God, you are called to rule for him. The second thing that you and I are called to do is we're called to rest in him, to rest in him. Genesis chapter 2, verse 2 says this, By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. When God had finished his work, on the seventh day he rested. This isn't like God taking a day off. What God is actually doing here is he's inviting you and I into rest with him. That's called the Sabbath. If you've ever heard that phrase, the Sabbath, many people think of the Sabbath as just taking a day off, you know, like your Sabbath is Sunday or your Sabbath is Saturday or Friday or something like that. You just take a day off. But that's not what the Sabbath is. Sabbath is actually resting in God. We're told 27 times, we are commanded 27 times throughout Scripture to have a Sabbath, to rest in God. That word Sabbath, to rest, is mentioned over 150 times in Scripture. The Sabbath is a big deal. Like, this is massive. Like, when God created humanity and he created all things on the seventh day, he's like, what can we do now? Let's rest and invite them into resting with me. I mean, you see this carried forward all throughout Scripture. You see this in Jesus' life where Jesus calls us to rest in him. Jesus calls us to take a Sabbath. Resting in God is massive. Probably one of the individuals that I think does it the best that I've ever seen is uh, Pastor Johnny. He, he's one of our teaching pastors and oversees our community groups and uh, our guest experience and all of that. He probably does this the best out of any person I've ever seen. Or like for me, many times my Sabbath, I'm like, okay, what do I need to get done today? Is my day off? You know, I got errands to run. I got all these things. And at the end of the day, I'm like, did I even rest in God's presence? Did I even spend time with him? Because when you're resting in God, what you're doing is you're getting to know his heartbeat so that your heart can break for the things that his breaks for. You're getting to know his character so you can ask him to, to change you, to mold you to more like his character. You're getting to know how he sees people, the world around you, so you can do the final thing, which is reflect him best. And this is why we encourage everybody to do a 21-day uh, fast is because we say, hey, man, like what if we started this year just resting in God? Like all the things you've got to do this year, 
Like all the things that you and I have got to do in our lives, like what if you started this year just learning how to rest in him? That's why we do a prayer and fasting. Because when you rest in him, then you do that final thing, which is reflect him. Reflect him. We see reflecting him as a part of our purpose all throughout Scripture. I mean, Adam and Eve are commanded to reflect his glory. When you look at the Ten Commandments, we did a series on the Ten Commandments this summer. If you, if you missed that, if you've just joined us recently, I would encourage you to go back and watch those. those are, all that stuff is on that message series hubs that we, we talked about earlier. Uh, but commandment number three is do not take the Lord's name in vain. And if you grew up like I did, I was told that that, that meant just don't cuss with God's name. Like, don't be like, oh, mm, you know, whatever. Like, but that's not actually what that means. When you, when you dig deep into scripture, it's not saying that. Carrying God's name, you were, as followers of Christ, you were called to carry his name. So to take his name in vain means that you say that you're a follower of Jesus, that you're a follower of God, and then you just live completely different. Like your heart doesn't break for what his heart breaks for. You don't care for the things that he cares for. You don't love people the way that he loves people. You don't obey his commandments, none of that. That's taking the Lord's name in vain. And then you go fast forward to Jesus and the Bible tells us that Jesus is the light of the world and that Jesus says to us as followers of him that now you are the light of the world. Shine your light in the midst of the darkness. So this reflecting God is seen all throughout scripture. We know how important it is if you say that you're a follower of Christ to act like you're a follower of Christ. We know it's important because we've seen so many people who say that they're followers of Christ not act like they're followers of Christ. Right? Like you could probably identify a friend or a family member or an athlete or some star that says that they're a follower of Jesus, but they don't live like it. Their life is not reflecting of who Christ is. And we discussed this months ago that the number one reason why people who claim that they're atheists say that they're atheists is not because there's not overwhelming evidence that a God must exist. It's because people say that they're Christians and they don't act like it. Like they say one thing and they do something different. So these people who claim that they're atheists are like, why would I want to live that life? Like you're no different than me. God's saying, if you want to make a difference in this world, if you want to live out the purpose that I've created you for, you've got to be an image bearer and an image bearer reflects me. This is what makes people want to follow Jesus. I mean, that when people see my life, when they see your life, they're like, man, that person represents something bigger. Like that person is living different. They respond different. They act different than everybody else. Like, what do you have? Tell me more about who this God is and who Christ is. And all. tell me a little bit more because I want that. This is what God longs for in our lives. And I wonder though, I wonder if so many people who say that they're followers of Jesus, if we're not reflecting the image of God, because we just don't know who we are. We don't know the masterpiece that God has created in us. We don't know our own worth. We don't know how God created us and how when he looks at us, he says, you are my masterpiece. It makes me think of art. Uh, when, I, when I was in college, I had to uh, pick between an elective, between uh, art and music. And since I'm so musically inclined, um, I play no instruments. And uh, Pastor Aaron has denied me every time I've tried out for the worship team. Uh, <laughs> that's real funny. <laughs> Apparently, uh, why are you all clapping? I'm, 
Apparently, we're looking for a new worship pastor. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so I took art, um, and man, I, art fascinates me. Uh, I, I, I'm not, uh, I, I'm not great um, at, at identifying everything, but it, it fascinates me, and um, it fascinates me. One of the things uh, is how expensive some of these pieces of artwork are. Uh, like, the, I'll show you this one. This one's called the Red Vineyard. Uh, does anybody know who the Red Vineyard is painted by? No. Van Gogh, yeah, heard a couple of y'all say that. Uh, painted by Van Gogh. Van Gogh is a fascinating character, fascinating. Um, I would say that he didn't know who he was in Christ, or he didn't know that he was a masterpiece of God. He was created by God. This is the only painting that Van Gogh sold in his lifetime, and then a couple months after he sold it, he took his own life. He sold it for 400 francs, which at that time was $100. $100 in the 1800s, that's a lot of money. That, that'll get you through a few months, for sure. But this painting was valued just two years ago. Anyone want to guess what it was valued at? Two million, a little bit higher. 17 million, a little bit higher. 117 million dollars. 400 francs, 100 dollars, to 117 million dollars. How can something like this be valued so high? Because of its creator because it has the name Van Gogh behind it. I would say the same is true for you and I. You and I, we have the name of the Lord on us, that you are his creation. You were created by him. When God looked at all of creation, he said, it's good. And when he created you, he says, it is very good. God created you perfectly in his image. Ephesians chapter 2 is one of my favorite passages. It says that you are God's handiwork or you are God's masterpiece created in him to do good works. And I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I'm, I'm speaking to anybody in here or maybe online or maybe it was just for last service, but I wonder if when some of us look in the mirror, we don't see God's masterpiece. When some of us look in the mirror, we might see regret, might see a mistake. We might see the bumps and the bruises and the warts and all of that. But the last thing that you see is the masterpiece of God. And here's what I would say. I would say it's really hard to reflect his image if you don't know who you are. It's really hard to tell the rest of the world who God is if you look in the mirror and you see yourself as a mistake. And not only that, I think we make some very poor choices when we don't see ourselves as a masterpiece of God. Like before I accepted Christ, before I understood who I was in Christ, I was hurt, I was angry, I was getting in fights all the time. I was drunk all the time. I was doing drugs all the time. And I was making some really poor decisions all because I had a wound that, was, that I was longing for a Band-Aid to come on top of it, but that wound was too deep. And every time when I looked in the mirror, I didn't see a masterpiece. I saw a mistake. Not because anybody told me I was a mistake. It's just everything in my life. At that point, I'm, I'm looking at things. And I'm like, man, there's no purpose for me. Things seem hopeless. I wasn't a masterpiece of God. 
if you don't look in the mirror and see yourself the way that God sees you, you'll do some really harmful things to yourself and to others. In the last two or three weeks, I've had five people in my life that had either a very close friend or a family member commit suicide. Just heard about another one this morning of a friend of Sarah and I. When you make that decision, and we can talk about, we can talk about mental health. We can talk about, I mean, we're about to do a series called Taboo in a few weeks on mental health and some of the challenges and I think it's gonna be really powerful. So we can talk about that. We can talk about the need of medication and counseling and, and all of those things. But where I'm starting right now is if you look in the mirror and you don't see yourself as a masterpiece of God, you will be prone to do harmful things to yourself and others. I was talked to a girl after last service that said, I've been having suicidal thoughts for a while now. If that's you, man, I just want you to know God sees you and he loves you and he created you. He didn't make a mistake. You weren't an accident. He knows your name. He died for you to show his great love for you. My prayer is that you would receive that, that over the next 21 days, if you join us in this prayer and fasting, and even if you don't, I'm going to be praying and fasting for you that you would come out over the next three weeks, you'd be like, man, I don't know how, but something miraculous happened that I truly believe now when I look in the mirror that I'm God's masterpiece, that I am created by him. Because when you believe that, then you can actually reflect him. And so where are you at as an image bearer of God? For some of us, how are you doing ruling for God? How are you loving his creation? How are you loving other people? For some of us, how are you resting in God? How are you doing with just spending time with him, worshiping him, prayer, his word? How are you doing resting in him? Not just taking a day off, but truly resting in him. And then how are you reflecting him? Like when the rest of the world sees you, sees your actions, sees your words, but they say, man, I, I wanna be like that person. Like there's something different about that person. And then for those of you who resonate, if you look in the mirror right now and you don't see a, the creation of God, you don't see a masterpiece, our prayer is that God would speak to you right now. You would do something in your heart and your mind that will allow you to see yourself as he sees you. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and God, I thank you for your word. Thank you for Genesis chapter one and how it truly is the beginning. It's our origin story. And it really dictates the rest of your word and what you've called us to, what you've called us into. So Father, for those of us who would say, maybe we're struggling with ruling for you, God. God, just speak to us in that. Tell us what we're to change, what we're to do different. So Father, we're a better representation of you and ruling your creation, caring for your creation, serving and leading your creation. Father, for those of us who would say, man, we're struggling with resting in you. God, may we pursue you more than anything else. May we pursue that 
intimate relationship with you so that we can know you, so we can discover more about your character and who you are and what your heart's break for, heart breaks for and all of that, God. Father, for all of us, God, may we be a better reflection of you. May when the world sees us, when our kids, our spouse, our friends, our neighbors, when they see us, may they say, man, there's something different about that person. May they long for you because of how we're reflecting your image, God. And then, God, I just pray for anybody in here right now who would say, you know what? I need to change the way that I see myself. God, I don't pretend that that's easy. For some of us, that means we got to forgive ourselves. That's one of the hardest things to do. Father, for some of us, we, are, we see ourselves poorly because of the way others have treated us, and we've got to forgive there for whatever it may be, God. I just pray, Father, that you would speak to our souls right now. In fact, I didn't do this last service, but I feel compelled to right now. If that's you, with every head bowed and eyes closed, you'd say, you know what, Ernest? Yeah, that resonates with me. Doesn't matter if you're a girl or a guy. You'd say, if I, when I look in the mirror, man, I, I struggle with seeing myself as God's masterpiece. Sometimes I'm a mistake. Sometimes I'm an accident. Sometimes I just see all the bumps and the bruises and the sins and all of that, and I just struggle with seeing myself the way that God sees me. I'm not gonna ask you to come forward or stand up, but if that's you, and you're brave enough to admit that, I just want you to raise a hand so I know who to pray for. Amen, 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 amen. So many of you. Father, thank you for each one of these individuals and their, their bravery, God. And I just pray, Father, you would speak to us. God, you would speak that hope, that life that we need. God, you would speak what you see into our hearts and into our souls. So, the Father, that when we look at ourselves, we would see what you see, not what we are prone to see, that we would begin to say things about ourselves that you would say about us. So, the Father, we can be the best, healthiest representation of you. Father, tell us what ours is to do now. In Jesus' name, amen.